You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. Today we'll be discussing how we choose either zirconia or Emacs for our CAD-CAM materials. This, of course, involves understanding the features and benefits of both of these materials. And our guest to help us clarify all this is Dr. Alex Vasserman. He's a cosmetic dentist who practices minimally invasive painless dentistry in the Upper East Side of New York City. He's an active member of several dental associations, including the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry and Kois Trained Dentist. Dr. Vasserman, it's a pleasure to have you back on Dental Talk. Thank you so much for having me. So what is the criteria that you recommend in deciding whether to use zirconia, which has become a very popular material for CAD-CAM right now, or Emacs, which is a completely proven, solid, successful material for many, many years? Um, how do you know which one to use for, for CAD-CAM materials? So if you're specifically going to go with CAD-CAM, and we're comparing CAD-CAM versus CAD-CAM, the criteria is going to be strength. Right. So if it's someone with uncontrollable parafunctional habits, worn down teeth, clenching, they have a history of fracturing teeth, then I would go to zirconia, um, comparing cat cam and cat cam. If it's Emacs, then we have to compare whether it's going to be pressed Emacs versus milled Emacs. And again, it falls into three categories for me. And the way that I'm looking at the tooth is whether the mill, the three axis mill versus those more complicated mills can get those little intricacies of the prep. If I'm looking at the prep and there's all these little nooks and crannies and boxes and I'm trying to be conservative, I will probably go pressed because when my ceramist waxes it, they can pick up a lot of those little imperfections that perhaps the CAD cam won't be able to pick up. If we're past that and we say, okay, we're good with the CAD material here, then I'm going strength. To me, most of my patients are getting Emacs in the posterior. Uh, Emacs is proven, like you said, time tested. It's a pretty material. It flexes really nicely. And I could bond it a lot better than I can with zirconia. Yeah. So that's very, very well articulated. And, and that goes into my next question. We know we can bond pretty well to Emacs. How, how about zirconia? And I know you talked about this on a previous podcast, but some of our audience may not have listened to that podcast. So if you would clarify that today, that would be great. Again, if we're looking at one of those flat top onlays, for me, most of those are going to be Emacs because, again, I am relying on the bond strength. Yes, there are studies that showed that you can bond to zirconia, but I still, with zirconia, I am still relying on those dental school adhesive principles, six degree of taper, to structure something to grab onto. If it's a pure flat top and I need 100% adhesive uh, retention, then to me it's Emacs. Yes, you can bond to zirconia by using something like Bisco's Z-Prime that has the MDP. And there are studies that show that you can bond to it. But if it's someone that has a pair of functioning habit, and has uncontrollably heavy bite, 
I will then typically prep almost for a full coverage crown and then use zirconia in order uh, to cohesively uh, bond, it, bond it cohesively to the tooth. So I got everything going um, you know, in, in my favor that that won't break or fall off. What's the difference in the strength between Emacs and zirconia? Yeah, if we're looking at hardness of the material, right? Um, Emacs, um, lithium disilicate are these lithium crystals that are embedded in, in, in this glassy matrix. And they're pretty small little crystals. They're about three to six microns in length. Whereas zirconia are these um, like modified yttria, um, more polycrystal so they're like a lot more dense so it's a much more dense material if you're looking at the numbers um you, you know you're talking about like a hardness number of 15,000 versus 5,000 so almost three times stronger but you also have to look at the flex flexure strength right is the strength more compressive forces which where a lot of those studies are done or is it more flexible, right? Like bending, um, like Pascal Meunier's work. Something like a CAD-CAM Emacs flexes at about 400 megapascals, whereas zirconia doesn't flex as much, right? It's more dense. So one is going to be harder, 16 to 18,000 uh, megapascals, whereas Emacs is in about 500. One is much stronger compressive forces the other flexes more where the advantage to zirconia is that it's so smooth that someone that does have parafunctioning uh, habits like grinding that side to side because it's so smooth the teeth just glide one off of the other there's no friction if it's one of those side to side where is zirconia will will make it slide off when we're talking about flexing the whole tooth flexes so when you're looking at flexure points, zirconia doesn't flex very well, whereas Emacs does. When you're looking at, at a whole structure, almost like a tree branch or a building can flex, um, Emacs is going to be a lot better. So when zirconia, you're putting in the anterior teeth and you're baking porcelain on top of it, because it doesn't flex as much, you... And, and if the forces are too hard, you'll something has to give. So it'll typically be the interface between the zirconia and the porcelain. That's why in the anterior on a parafunctioning person, I want something that flexes. Where in the posterior, if someone is clenching and squeezing, I want something that's going to withstand compressive forces. So I'll probably go with zirconia, and because it's so smooth, the in the posterior for those parafunctioning, the clenching and the grinders, I would I would typically go for the zirconia, so that way they have something to slide off of. What is the difference between for our audience just to clarify milled and pressed Emacs? Great question. So milled Emacs, let's say you scan, or you uh take an impression the ceramist designs the restoration on a computer much like you would in the office and an in-office machine typically will mill it the, the three y axis and some of the 
bigger labs have a much more complicated machines that can mill on much more axes than this. A pressed restoration, a ceramist will take a stone model or a 3D printed model and layer wax over the restoration to mimic the tooth. They'll work in the guidances, they'll work in all the grooves, the secondary anatomy, and then that will go into a press machine. Like from um, Ivoclar, they have, um, like it gets invested and then it uh, gets into like a machine where under heat and pressure, um, the wax gets burnt out and the porcelain or the Emacs gets pressed into uh, a mold. Then, the, uh, then it gets divested, uh, polished, stained, glazed. To me, a pressed restoration picks up a lot more of those inaccuracies that you may find with like boxes or, um, you know, grooves or things like that where, um, and also in the anterior, when a restoration is pressed, it's a little bit stronger, so you could cut it back a little bit more to layer the porcelain over it to make it look a little bit prettier. Right. So aesthetically, a pressed Emacs would be would take preference over a milled Emacs. In my practice, yes, because pressed, you, again, you could cut it back. A technician could cut it back and layer it and make and work in translucencies versus a milled you have to more paint it you know you have to glaze it and you work the blues in in order to mimic translucencies i find that for those higher end more aesthetically driven cases i will go either if it's veneers i will do um feldspathic pure feldspathic if I need, if it's more cohesive dentistry, then I will go pressed Emacs, cut back with feldspathic over it. I defer to my ceramist who layers it. I tell them, make this look good. Let's discuss materials. They'll pour or they'll look at the scan. And then my ceramist and I will have a conversation about material choice. And we will decide based on my preps. Mm -hmm. What do they look like? Were they cohesive? Is this going to be adhesive? How much dentin do I have? How much reduction did I give them? Did I give them enough? But again, that, that starts with planning and that starts with a wax up. And you almost want to think material first and then prepare the teeth to be minimally invasive. But with the thinking of what are you prepping for? Am I prepping for a CAD cam? Am I prepping for zirconia? Am I prepping for lithium disilicate, pressed Emacs? All of those things kind of have to be in your mind while the drill is going. So if, you know, a, doc if a doctor is doing chair side milling with a CEREC system or something like that, aren't they preparing those preps for a milled veneer and a milled crown? That's right. That's exactly it. So for... for for someone that has a CAD cam in their office and that are utilizing that CAD cam, they'll tell you the first few preps do not qualify for that CAD cam. They're getting back, you know, something that looks like, um, you know, socks and a rooster, you know, but then as they get more and more, um, you know, 
involved with, with their machine, they're understanding what's working for them. And then they're basically prepping in order to get the best results, both aesthetically and functionally. Do you use chair-side milling in your practice? I don't. I don't. I scan uh, and, and I take PVS impressions, but I'm not milling chair-side yet. So you're still doing uh, PVS materials. You're still taking regular traditional impression techniques. For anterior, almost always. That's a that's an almost always for me. Like I'm uh, taking PVS for almost everything. That's because my ceramist is very comfortable with PVS. Again, it's lab communication. It's knowing who you're working with. It's having that team approach. So for my ceramist, PVS works best in his hands for that beautiful anterior work. I may not, and I'm not sure if he's listening or not, but I sometimes may not use him for all of my posterior work. So for that, I will scan when I go to another lab. For them, they may mill my zirconia, they may mill my Emacs. Um, so it just depends. It's lab communication and it's communicating with your ceramist. What do you think the future is as far as you don't need all the details of, of a, someone managing this at the lab where so much is done in the office with chair side? Sure. I mean, I think that there's definitely a future in that, but the question is who's doing it, right? Is it you that are staining, glazing, running the machine, working the digital component, replacing the parts, or is it your assistants that are now delegating? what's the workflow is your office big enough for that you know i have a very small office so my assistant doesn't have time to do that so i i refer that out i, I my work goes to my ceramist because i rather see another patient than to stain than to glaze than to run the machines than to replace the parts so the question is who's doing it? Because there's always someone going to be doing it. Like there's future in 3D printing, but the question is who is doing it? Are you staying at the end of the evening to change the cassettes and to change all the composite? Are your assistants doing that? Those are, those are questions that you have to sort of answer for your practice. You know, yeah, my no, practice, it's, no it's going it. to my ceramist. Yeah. So you're a solo practitioner in a, in a relatively small office, you know, compared to a, a typical office, because of course the Upper East Side rent's pretty expensive. I don't know how big your office is, but <laughs> but no, that's a yeah. very good, that's a very good point though. Uh, you're making Dr. Wasserman that the new technology that's coming out, just because a dentist doesn't jump into it and adopt it immediately and buy a milling machine, doesn't mean he's not doing state of the art dentistry. It that's really right. Has, it really I, has to, I agree. The workflow. And the workflow is what's being sold to the dentists when it comes to technology. That's the big sales pitch. Well, wait till you see what this does for your workflow. But you're actually saying that some of this technology, like chair-side milling, doesn't fit your workflow, and that's because of the size of your staff and your operation. Uh, it's someone has to do it, right? The question you always say, "Well, this is going to save you so much time and lab fees." Well, if you have to hire another assistant to do the digital design and to mill and to stain and to glaze, how does that fit your workflow? Right, you know? right, exactly. No, very good point. Yeah, that's been excellent. So we need to get you on another podcast just on workflow. I think that, that would be a really cool topic. Because, I would love that. Yeah, I don't it's know how many play. dentists like you are around these days with the DSOs, the large dental service organizations, the corporate dentistry. 
uh, Upper East Side, New York, you have a nice practice. You know, I, I, is that pretty common in New York for solo practitioners to be like yourself? Or, or do you find you're a dying breed at this point? You know, the new patients are calling. Um, I think there's always going to be a need for high-end boutique work, just like a restaurant, you know. You can always go to, um, you know, Cheesecake Factory, which I – there's very good DSOs out there that do terrific work. But it's managed, and I feel like dentists come and go in those, you know, because the the dentist's salary there is very controlled. So the really good dentists who – um, our artist in in that sense will typically want to go somewhere else. So I feel like for aesthetic work, for really great customer service that's very patient centric, I think the boutique practice is always going to be around. Definitely, you know, definitely. Um, without a doubt. Yep. And there's always people that will pay for it. There's no yeah, question. just yeah, like there. a high end chef restaurant. There's right. We're needed, you know. People wanna, people want to walk in, and everyone knows their name, and you know their chart, and they could call you at 2 a.m. from their vacation in France, telling you, "Well, you did a, you did that filling, and now it hurts." You know. Right. right. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yep. Those boutique restaurants, they do well too. I'm getting hungry right now thinking about it. So we we need more of those boutique restaurants in Austin, Texas. We we don't have enough of them. But I think after the pandemic. Some of them went out of business, and now there's opportunities for new ones. But we don't want to get into the restaurant uh, podcast yet. So uh, it's been wonderful talking to you, Dr. Vasserman. I really appreciate it. We just did a nice podcast on zirconia versus Emacs, and Dr. Vasserman did some great stuff with us on endodontic treatment versus vital pulp capping, bonding versus looting, and particle abrasion. All of these podcasts, these four that I mentioned, were sponsored by and supported by Bisco, which is a phenomenal company. They believe in education. Uh, they do a lot of webinars with Viva Learning. They do podcasts and they do a tremendous amount of research and development. And Bisco is a great company to support your questions. If you're a practitioner and you're wondering what happened in a case or how you can improve your clinical dentistry, you could contact Bisco and they're always there for you, which is a great thing to have when you buy products is to know the company stands behind you. And, and I'll tell you, um, I was using other products, 3M um, and OptiFlow and all this stuff. And then I switched to Bisco um, because I was getting less sensitivity, um, et cetera. And the cost is actually really nice compared to other companies. And only then I reached out to Bisco and I said, you know, I love your product. Uh, and I got involved with Rolando there, uh, Dr. Nunez, who's great. And so it's me really liking the product, you know, I'm talking about it versus them kind of paying me to talk about it. Yeah, so no, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, the KOLs that we work with, for the most part, I'm not sure all of them, because it's no way for me to know. But for the most part, these doctors only talk about stuff that they really enjoy using. They're good people. There's always some that are mercenaries. I don't know. I Hopefully not, they're not on my show. But you've been great. And hopefully we'll get you on something uh, down the road on some workflow podcast and other things that you have so much experience with. Thank you so much, Dr. Vassar. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you.